Welcome, welcome, welcome back to a brand new episode of Spiraling, the Spiraling Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Jackson Wallace. I got my friend, my buddy, my pal, uh, Jason Holland with us. But Jason, it's not just us. It's not, you know, we're not boring the uh, the audience, which is us too, right? We, we brought on some, uh, actually our most popular guest so far, we had the most plays with him. We brought on uh, licensed uh, counselor, uh, Harold Boggs. Welcome back, Harold. How are you? I'm just great. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thank you for uh, for coming back on the show. Uh, we had a, a lot of, uh, of good love coming in from our last episode with you, and so we thought we'd, we'd bring you back and uh, just catch up with you and see how you're doing. We're, we're uh, busy. Uh, my life hasn't really changed very much, uh, except uh, we've gotten busier. It's my privilege to help people with their anxiety and uh, stress at this stressful time. Yeah, a, a very stressful time. I was actually curious to kind of pick your brain a little bit about uh, you know everything that's happened with uh, with quarantine and um, and all that that has come with it. Um, how did how were you affected by uh, by COVID nineteen? Well, um, it's uh, there's been a steady increase in the clientele at our center because our center was designated as a uh, essential business, we didn't close. Some of, the, some of my colleagues worked from home, and some came into the office. I was in the office every day. Yeah. About half of my clients I see virtually, okay. and the other half I see face-to-face -face in the office. And so uh, um, I, I uh, wear masks at the grocery store, and right. uh, uh, that kind of thing. Clean, clean the uh, grocery cart, and um, uh, just try to use common sense. Right. Yeah, common sense. The it is a fact that the virus is very, very contagious. But um, using common sense and washing the hands and uh, sure. doing those things um, uh, makes makes it makes a lot of sense. We uh, we did spend some time down at Matagorda Beach. That's a good time. Okay. This is a good time to be at the beach, and Matagorda wasn't crowded. The water was very nice. So That's good. Yeah, we've we've had some good uh, good moments. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, well, thanks for coming back on. Uh, we we appreciate. It. I know last time we kind of dove pretty deep into the you know the addiction side of things. Um, as well as everything else, and uh, you know, we talked a little bit about you and uh, and Jason, kind of how you guys met and your sponsor. I thought we'd kind of maybe dive more into your, your work um, on on this episode in particular. Um, as the episode before, um, we had Rich on, and Rich was kind of providing his his uh, his philosophy and his a little bit of his background. I was curious as to your specific philosophies when it comes to your patients like is there you know is there something specific that you do with each patient like are you or, or, do you do you kind of approach it differently based on the person or do you approach um, them with kind of a, a template if you will well um, there are some commonalities between our people but uh, each of us is unique. Right. Each person has a unique uh, body chemistry. Right. So uh, uh, the like if they go to the psychiatrist, uh, the psychiatrist will uh, try um, one medication, and it may have an opposite effect on the person. Right. I met lots of people that report that they don't have the the correct response to medications. Well, it's the same thing with treatment. Mm -hmm. And so my approach is called solution-focused. Okay. I like to focus on solutions, and um, uh, there are many different ways to escape reality. And right. that's really the problem, is uh, when to, to quote, so let me quote, uh, Dr. Scott Peck, the great psychiatrist decades ago, said, mental health 
is a commitment to reality at all cost. Yeah. A commitment to reality at all cost. And uh, compulsive behavior and drug problems and um, they, those are a, an escape from reality at all cost. So we all need to escape some. <clears throat> there are healthy ways to escape. But when the escape becomes habitual, then we've got a mental illness known as addiction. Right. I really don't like the word addiction. Uh, I prefer compulsive behavior and dependency. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, and that's that quote that I just made was of uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes. Escaping, when escaping becomes habitual, it is a mental illness right as addiction. So, um, there are lots of different ways of escaping, but we have to uh, get to know each patient and figure out what is behind their need to escape. Um, is it loneliness? Is it, uh, is it fear? Is it procrastination? Um, are there relationship problems? Uh, were they traumatized in the past, either as children or uh, as young adults? And uh, so that's where the individuation comes in. And we, uh, we get to know people and then we, we launch into recovery. Yeah. Recovery activities. There's three big phases to recovery. Okay. Phase one is complete abstinence. It's very important to, uh, to not dabble around with it, to take it seriously and completely quit whatever the compulsive behavior is. That phase two is learning how to stay stopped. Once you've stopped, it's 20 times as hard to stay stopped. Right. And the reason it's hard is because of our selfishness and our pride. Okay. Those two qualities undergird all uh, addiction problems and compulsive behavior. The best way I've found to level that pride and get some humility Mm -hmm. and end the selfishness and get some empathy is working the 12 steps. Right. They were borrowed from the Bible in 1935. Really? And I didn't I'm, know that. I'm a Christian counselor, which means I don't push religion, but right. I do, uh, I am equipped to, uh, if people understand the Bible, there's a lot of wisdom there. So working the 12 steps with someone to guide you through is part two of recovery. Um, and uh, that way we, we get some humility <coughs> and we get some uh, empathy right. back in our lives so we can think of other people. We're not so selfish. And that's, that's important, but that's, that's part two. The most important part of the whole game is part three where I reach back and I help someone newer work their 12 steps. Yeah. My sponsor and I reach back and we help a new guy work his steps. That's when my steps click in, not okay. until. Uh, we have a motto. We only get to keep what we give away. Interesting. So in its own way, this that's what this podcast is about. You guys are giving back, giving back. And that's what we need to do if we're going to keep it. So, uh, yeah. so uh, those are the three parts. That is, of course, uh, reaching back and helping someone is step 12. Mm -hmm. So I see the first 11 steps as about 25% of the program. Okay. And step 12 is 75% of the program. Wow. Uh, very important to uh, be able to give back. As you could imagine, it helps us anchor what we've really learned. When we learn to teach it and give it away, then that, that cements it into our lives. Yeah. We need to keep it. You see it from a, a new perspective, mm -hmm. right? From a new yes. point, that kind of helps you uh, keep everything. Uh, 
tie it together. Um, when you mentioned in phase one, you mentioned stopping with, with, with the abstinence, right? With the substance. Yes. Is it easier to go cold turkey or is it like a gradual process? Like what is there, or is there like one that you, that you recommend? Well, I'm really glad you asked that question because uh, the, uh, the fact of the matter is that alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world. Right. Takes more lives. And uh, anyone who drinks too much too fast, mm -hmm. the college students that guzzle the vodka, right. it can kill you on the spot. It shuts off the signal from the brain to the lungs, and people look like they're passed out, but they're actually suffocating. Wow. It happens all the time. Every day there are more deaths from alcohol overdose mm -hmm. than all the drug overdoses combined. But it's never in the news. Right. So alcohol, drinking alcohol is dangerous. A lot of teenagers uh, don't make it. They've, I know personally uh, six families who uh, rushed their teenager to the hospital and they just barely survived wow. the situation. Almost died, dodged a bullet. So drinking is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Quitting is also dangerous. If you know someone who's drinking every day and they want to quit, tell them, do not quit cold turkey. Okay. You can have a seizure and die. Wow. I lost a patient in 2011 that way. The fellow was very, very uh, funny, nice guy, 51 yeah. years old, and he quit cold turkey he was afraid of his uh, probation officer okay he quit cold turkey had a seizure didn't make it very sad I helped with the funeral oh man that's right very very sad loss yeah. in the prime of his life age 51 yeah that's why they stress if you are going to quit drinking cold turkey that you need to be in a treatment center where they can monitor you yeah. and give you the correct medication in order for you to get off or go through detox. That's right. There's a medication that prevents seizures. So if a person's going to quit after drinking daily, they need to see a doctor, get that medication. Or there's another way to do that, and that's to taper off over a two-week period. Okay. Now, I'm not a doctor, so you need to talk to your doctors. And, uh, but uh, it's it's not advised to quit cold turkey. Yeah, no, I was curious about that. So yeah, you yeah. a two-week period and taper down in consultation with your doctor for yeah. however, you know, however they, uh, that they have it. Um, I have a, another question here. It's, um, have you seen one addiction um, that was birthed from another one? Right, like somebody is addicted to a certain substance, but then mm -hmm. that has taken them on to, uh, to something else. Well, that, we do see uh, uh, people switch addictions often. Okay. Um, a lot of guys that I've worked with and been friends with have uh, quit their alcohol, but they uh, they switch over to a different substance. I did that myself, actually. I really? switched to cocaine. Uh, really smart, really smart. <laughs> uh, a lot of people drop dead from, from cocaine. It will stop your heart, right. just like that. Uh, but uh, uh, the... Uh, there's also a spiritual element to this, which okay. it really gives, comes into play with uh, addiction switching. And that's the, the uh, uh, especially for folks who believe in God, when we believe in God, the enemy's really scared of us and threatened by us. And he wants to take us out. First, he wants to ruin all of our credibility and he wants to destroy our families, then he wants to take us out altogether. So we've got to keep that in mind. Um, and uh, the, so, uh, there, there are many things that, uh, that uh, fit together as far as uh, compulsive behavior and dependency. Um, 
a lot of people depend on a glass of vodka before bed in order to sleep. That's a dependency. Yeah. Some people think that they can only have fun at the party if they have a couple of drinks. That's a dependency. Um, the fun is in you, it's not in the alcohol. And so they'll, they'll quit alcohol, but they'll start up some other thing. The problem is really escaping reality. And yeah. uh, when that escape becomes habitual, it's a mental illness. And that brings up another type of uh, complication, and that is when people have a mental illness and they have a dependency on chemicals. And they're in really a tough double bind. And I always advise them to uh, see their doctor, take their medications for their mental illness, and uh, do not stop those medications. Even if they're chemically dependent, they need to continue their medications. Now, a lot of treatment centers are not that experienced with all of this, and so they advise people to get off of their medications, and that's irresponsible. There are several support groups that are called dual diagnosis support groups. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they understand what it's like to have a mental, mental problem and to have a chemical dependency at the same time. And it is, we can be very successful taking our meds and getting away from the alcohol and uh, recreational drugs. Right. Yeah, you can do both because you so, sometimes, and they were talking about this a little bit last episode, I think, some Jason, which yeah. was, uh, you know, uh, it, it's got to be kind of tailored to the individual, right? Sometimes, exactly. take, sometimes taking an individual off of their medication, uh, cold turkey straight away, um, could have a, an adverse effect. Oh, yes. Um, the, uh, the medical doctors will tell you that it's important to titrate down. That's cut back little by little. A lot of the medications have about a three-week half-life, so uh, just quitting it all of a sudden can be really problematic. Yeah. Um, you got to taper down. You, when you switch medications with your psychiatrist, the, he will uh, or she will cut one down, cut one back, add another one in, and the and the two overlap. Um, and once in a while, the psychiatrist will uh, require what's called a medication holiday, where you quit everything to kind of clean your system out and see what where you are at. Because little by little, our body chemistry changes. Yeah. Uh, decade after decade. So you're not the same person that you were uh, 10 years ago. Right. Um, how does uh, addiction to alcohol differ from uh, other substances? Like, is there, is there, is it, I mean, I'm not, and forgive my ignorance, right? But it's, I don't, is it, um, you were talking about kind of body chemistry and, 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 and things like that. Does it affect you differently? I, I assume it does based on the different substances. Well, the, um, again, the, the, uh, the real problem is the habitual escaping. But uh, alcohol does different things than cocaine. Cocaine does different things than marijuana. Right. Marijuana is not harmless. It's a powerful medication. And uh, the problem really comes in when people are self-medicating their emotional pain or their physical pain. We, we sometimes we think we're pretty smart and so we go, we do things that are outside of the doctor's uh, guidelines. Yeah. And uh, that's a lot of people get in trouble because the medic medications are very, very complicated. So it takes years, uh, years of medical study, and then they're constantly, the, the uh, big pharmaceutical companies are coming up with new things all the time that are really wonderful, miraculous solutions. Um, some of the most difficult people, uh, most difficult cases that I've had are uh, individuals uh, that suffer with uh, voices in their heads, and yeah. uh, it's called schizophrenia. Right. Um, and it's a very difficult uh, problem with the 
the medications that have been developed to help those people are just fantastic. Without the medications, the people suffer a lot. And uh, they still suffer even with the medications. The medications do not eliminate all of the voices in their heads, but yeah. they quiet them down to a point where they can function on a daily basis. Right. And the people I've met, when their stress goes up, then the voices get louder. A news reporter was going to do a, a program on what it's like to have schizophrenia. So the people hooked up a pair of Bluetooth headphones and uh, programmed and created a tape of what it's like to have two voices in your head talking to each other and screaming all yeah. the time. The reporter couldn't take it for an hour. Wow. And people that have this mental illness uh, have it every waking hour, every waking hour. So they really suffer a lot, even with good medications. And uh, <coughs> what we want to do is uh, uh, they uh, help them find the right combination of medications. Right. And, and then take their medications like clockwork. Uh, medication compliance or non-compliance is the biggest problem that we've got uh, in the medical world um, because the medications have side effects. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and alcohol has side effects. Right. So, um, I'm, I used to drink uh, from the age of 20 to the age of 40, I drank heavily. I was trying to self-medicate. Uh, I was trying to self-medicate my uh, childhood trauma. I was sexually abused ages 8, 9, 10, 11. Yeah. And so I started drinking, and that was a great way to escape from the, that trauma right. from childhood. But it's, so it was great for about 10 minutes. Heavy drinking is great for about 10 minutes, right? Yeah, then you don't remember anything else. <laughs> and then the, the uh, side effects, the uh, alcohol attacks the brain, and things start to go numb, parts of the brain. The first, the first part that seems to go numb is the vision center in the brain. So your vision gets blurry, mm -hmm. and you start seeing double. Also, the uh, speech center gets affected, and people kind of talk a little bit slower. They slur their speech. Uh, the hearing center gets affected by alcohol. And you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but at parties or in bars, the people that are really inebriated are really loud because yeah. they can't hear. Uh, the balance center's affected, and so people, when, they, when they've when they had several drinks, they're going to weave around. Uh, right. And uh, so that's, that's really what's happening, is that the brain gets attacked. Well, uh, all the drugs and the medications and the helpful ones and, and harmful ones all do the same thing. They attack the brain. And uh, so that's... Uh, that's basically, they all have a similar effect. <clears throat> they, uh, they attack the brain in different ways. And um, so, uh, but here's the beautiful thing about it. Once we get in recovery, we realize that all those wonderful chemicals, the uh, dopamine, the serotonin, yeah. uh, they're created in the brain. The human brain is a chemical factory. That what I'm getting at is that the happiness is in you. It's not in the chemical or the drug or the alcohol. Right. It's in you. There are other ways to access those same good feelings. And so recovery is all about substituting a healthy, uh, a healthy way of escaping for the unhealthy, the drinking or drugging yeah. or, or porn. Porn affects the brain just like heroin. We have new brain research. We used to, years, decades ago, we thought porn was harmless. 
And uh, now that the brain research is in, we realize it is not. It, that's an addiction that people switch to. Before we dive off into that subject, um, I want I want to just reiterate to the listeners again: um, for people with dual, dual diagnoses, dual a dual diagnosis. Yes. Because um, I I speak for myself, dealing with a dual diagnosis, and Harold, you and I work tremendously hard at keeping me accountable making sure i'm not doing anything else because the the drugs that i'm on are very powerful drugs and the only way for me to stay honest in my sobriety is to talk about it the other thing that i want to encourage our viewers to do is if you don't feel right um you know psychologically or you're having trouble sleeping even if you're an addict don't feel like you're seeking drugs by asking for help um because i I just experienced that myself with with not being able to sleep for several days at a time Mm. Uh, reached out to my doctor told him um the first thing he asked was have you had a drink no i haven't had a drink and he asked to talk to my wife uh, asked Kristen if I had been drinking. Um, so it's an accountability. I, I didn't get my feelings hurt that he was asking that. I, I want him to. I want him to. Yeah. Because if I'm going to get the help that I need, I got to be held accountable. And that's with any addict or that's with anybody that has a dual diagnosis. You have to be held accountable for what you put in your body and and make sure that um, you're, you're, you're being held accountable for it. Right. So. That's right. And the key is in the details, and we need lots of teamwork. Yeah. So that's why you and, and your wife are such a great team together. Yeah, I'll just see how she puts up with me. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's a question for a later day, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's true. And uh, we've got to mention chronic pain. Yeah. Because that is also, a, that produces chemicals in the body. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's, it's very, very important to be able to uh, uh, treat your pain mm-hmm. uh, properly. Yeah. And that's in the book I talk about the, um, the turning point after my cancer diagnosis yeah. was um, the building up of tolerance to morphine. Wow. And um, I, I remember I had several conversations with Harold. I think Harold and I were talking almost daily after I was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, yeah. And um, it, it, it was one of those things that I told Harold, I said, I think I'm building up a tolerance to morphine and I'm, I'm scared that I'm going to go down the, the wrong path. And we quickly took a different direction and it turned out for the best. I got off of the morphine. Uh, I, I got off the morphine cold turkey. Yep, you can and, do that. Yeah. And, um, but that was the best thing that could happen to me um, after being sober for you know three or four months right. and then you get hit with cancer and the doctors are giving you whatever you want to keep you yeah. pain, um, as painless so as keeping the pain away but just giving you whatever whatever it takes to, to keep that right um, and that's not good for an addict um, that's not good for anybody um, how many people switch over to heroin after having back surgery? You know, they, or street drugs, yeah. 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 Yep, that happens a lot. That we have an opioid crisis in America. Yeah. And it's real, and it takes out a lot of people. And the uh, pharmaceutical company, the one that I've studied recently, the makers of OxyContin, Okay. Yeah. Are paying out millions and millions, billions, and millions, billions <laughs> yeah. under the table and not really minding it. They're not feeling it uh, because they make so much on the medication, mm-hmm. oxycontin. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, get in line if you've if you've seen an injustice. Um, yeah, it's a big problem. But chronic pain is a big problem too. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the main problems with it is mm-hmm. that it doesn't allow you to sleep. Mm-hmm. Sleep is so important, so mm-hmm. important. Absolutely necessary. Yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my entire day goes uh, circles around how well I slept the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anybody that's close to me has seen that, that if I don't have enough sleep, um, I'm not very 
very good to get along with. <laughs> um, but I, I think Harold and I were talking on the, on the pre-show um, about my high level of energy that I have. It, right. it takes a lot. Um, it, it takes a lot of, for people around me to be able to keep up with how fast I go. Yes. But it also um, is that much harder for me to sleep at night because I am bipolar. Yes. And my bipolar um, uh, mood is has, has kind of leveled out to being during the day I'm more on the manic side right and then at night um, it takes a high level of uh, medication to knock me out uh, because I I just won't go to sleep if I don't take my medicine um, and sleep is so important yeah yeah so. and I, I have to sleep eight to nine hours a night or yeah I'm, I'm not very your good. doctor is really aware of that and helps you with that yeah yeah yeah, that was like last last week. I was having some issues sleeping. Called him up and said, "Hey, I, I just need something for a couple nights." That's it. And he asked me what I wanted. Told him, and we talked about it. Called it in, and I'm out of the medicine. I don't have any withdrawals. I don't. I don't. I, I don't. To, yeah. I don't have any. I don't have any desire to go back to it. Right. Because I got. I. It achieved its goal with me. It was. Make, let me sleep a couple nights. Yeah, I think, I think uh, the last episode was called that getting through that acute uh, uh, distress. Yeah. You know, like going yeah. The, get, just give that little small hump just so you can right. kind of keep going. Mm -hmm. That's why with uh, a lot of, what is it, heroin, they have um, that other drug that uh, they give it to them so that way they can... Yeah, Suboxone. Yeah. Heroin, people that take heroin go up and down emotionally and physically during the day, yeah. every day, uh, big ups and downs. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you switch to the synthetic heroin, the Suboxone, mm -hmm. uh, uh, no, I, I mean... Uh, the uh, methadone. Yeah, methadone. Oh, That's methadone. what I was thinking about. The methadone clinics. Suboxone is a drug that uh, makes you not want alcohol. Oh, but methadone, it helps you be steady. You can drive on methadone. You can work a job. Uh, and it gets rid of the highs and lows from heroin. But it's also difficult to get off of right. after you've uh, leveled off the highs and lows. It's a very complicated uh, subject, and the uh, the psychiatrists um, really have it's the the medications are miracles, but they're not easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. We were talking about kind of like you know we're talking about the opioids, right? Like the uh, opioids or painkillers. Yeah, we're talking about all that. We're talking about some of the the heavy stuff, right? Um, but I'm curious, what about the it's just one beer. What a, it's just a glass of wine. Does it have to be like heavy nine, hitters to be addiction? Nine out of ten people uh, are what we call normies. They drink once in a while. Right. Uh, when they start to feel it, they stop. Mm -hmm. When I started to feel it, that's when I doubled down. Right. Uh, they drink and uh, they don't have hangovers. When I drank, I had hangovers. They drink and they do not get behind the wheel. When I drank, I drove. Or I never run, ran over anyone, but uh, it's just a miracle. A miracle. Yeah. Um, uh, when normal people drink, uh, they don't have blackouts. That's where you you can't account for several hours or or right. a night. Or you you get up in the morning and you say, "How did I get here? And where is my car?" That's a blackout. Well, normal drinkers don't have that. I did. So, uh, as I did. <laughs> yeah. It, when so nine out of ten people drink normally. Mm -hmm. One out of ten people have all those symptoms that I just described, blackouts and hangovers, and, and uh, once they start, they can't predict where it'll stop. Yeah. Those are the ways that you measure this thing. So here is the statistical information about alcohol sales. The nine out of 10 people that drink normally mm -hmm. consume one-tenth of the alcohol 
consumed. Really? The one out of 10, like Jason and myself, drink 90% of the alcohol consumed. Wow. That tells the story right there. Yeah. And we, we were talking about, early, or in the last episode with yeah. Rich, we were talking about, um, you know, the different side effects of the drugs. Um, you know, for somebody who, who battled um, battled the, the codependency or the co, um, you know, bipolar and alcohol abuse and drug abuse. Yeah. Um, for me, it was um, at, at a different at, at a different time during the day, I would mm-hmm. do a different drug. Yes. Wow. Um, to get up in the morning, it was cocaine. Right. Um, cocaine up until 9, 10 o'clock at night when I started drinking. And then it was drink to get blackout drunk because that's the only way I could come off the cocaine and yes. get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Now, take take for mine, take for granted that this was a, during, a t- during a time period where I had a, a, a doctor that did not agree with my medications. Okay. And I think that's what really led that's down to my latest binge, okay. which lasted a couple years. I had a psychiatrist that didn't agree with my medication that I was on and um, took me off of my sleeping medicine, my mood stabilizer, and just had me on some, some basic um, basic drugs for mo- most people that have bipolar can take these drugs and be fine but I was I had built up such a high tolerance to the medication yeah. um, that it really took a lot to, to, yeah. to keep me sane um, took me off of it and uh, I didn't read the, the warning signs and started heavily abusing uh, cocaine alcohol um, Never really did anything else, but the, those were the, the, the two things that, you know, I would do the cocaine in the morning to wake me up all throughout the day, give me energy. And then at night, I would hit it hard with drinking. And right. there was a blackout drunk just about every single night. Um, and the interesting thing about uh, uh, drinking so that you can sleep is the fact that the... The, uh, the interesting thing about drinking so you can sleep is uh, that it, the, the substance changes your sleep level. So what we really are craving is that delta level sleep, that deep restful yeah. sleep mm-hmm. the, with the eye movements, mm-hmm. the REM sleep. And uh, so I've, I've worked with people who quit drinking and their body says, oh, finally, I can sleep, I can dream. And they finally get sleep. Like, I drank heavily for 20 years. And uh, uh, so, but it, you're sleeping, but it's not the deep sleep your body really needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Another subject I want to touch on with you, Harold, and, and this goes out for our uh, listeners in the, uh, the D- Department of Corrections uh, that's listening in. But the a lot of the mental health uh, mental health issues that people have, a lot of the addiction issues that people have, um, stem from an underlying cause. And most people, that underlying cause is trauma as a child. Yeah. Um, I heard uh, you and I have talked several times about um, sexual abuse, and you were sexually abused. I was sexually abused. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of people that I know that um, are either addicts or have mental health issues, or both, uh, because I think they, I think one feeds into the other for most people. But um, comes from an underlying issue of some kind of trauma as a child. Um, you know, I talk about it in my book. Um, I didn't have the greatest childhood. Um, it's probably because I was sexually abused and I was acting out. I didn't ask for help. I didn't ask. Well, I didn't talk about it. I felt ashamed. Um, so I turned to drugs and alcohol at a young age, um, which most people would have said, you know, look at Jason. He's just a troublemaker. But I was a troubled child, yeah. Um, and that just fed into my adulthood. And um, you know, um, Harold and I have been friends for a long time, and it took a long time for me to open up about it. That's right. There's so much shame. Yeah. And um, I kept it a secret for almost ten years. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kept mine a secret for about 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good for us. Yeah, and it, it, it wasn't until I um, I spent my time at Krause Residential Treatment Center. Um, I, I did quite a bit of time there. Um, and I opened up about it there. Um, but I don't feel like I really treated the underlying issue while I was there. Just by talking about it, um, it didn't click with me. I still had a lot of anger. I had a lot of hate. Yeah, and that helps um, a little bit to talk about it, but then you've got to do the hard work of uh, really getting in and, and doing therapy about it. Mm-hmm. Trauma healing therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it took a took a long time for me to overcome those issues and I don't know if you remember this but um, the issues that I had with my parents um, I had to give them a funeral and we acted that out um, yeah. oh, man. and that's that, that that's my relationship with my parents um, it's gotten a lot better over the last couple of years since I did that I don't expect things from my parents yeah um, I want them to be a part of my life. I want them to be there for me, and they are. But I had to stop. I had to stop exp- expressing it to them, because uh, all I did when when I was telling them that, hey, you don't spend enough time with me, I'd piss them off. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so now I I know I'm going to have a conversation with my dad a couple times a month. I might see him once a month, but. That's just, that's the relationship now. Yeah. And it's great, I love it. Um, it's better than not having parents. Sure. Um, but that took a long time for me to, to really uh, comprehend and, and get over. Yeah. So. Well then one of the reasons it's so difficult is that as children, we automatically blame ourselves for what happened to us. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't true. It wasn't your fault, the the abuse. You didn't bring it on. There's nothing a kid can do that brings that on. Mm-hmm. They don't deserve that. But we automatically blame ourselves. And then there's all this shame and we beat ourselves up. And I was pretty certain that there was no one I could trust because my perpetrator was my uh, half-brother. And uh, we grew up as brothers. So you're living with this guy, yeah. and he's doing this off and on for four years. Wow. And your mom isn't protecting you, and your dad isn't protecting you. And you're a little kid, eight years old, third grade. What the heck? Yeah. What do you do? Uh, so most kids blame themselves for what happened and they carry around the idea that they must be bad people and they deserve bad things and and so then so you self-medicate that with alcohol and cocaine then finally you go to a treatment center and they start to what what happened to me was i i heard basically my story a very similar story coming out of someone else's mouth and uh, that helped me a lot. I felt alone, and I felt like I was to blame, and I was beating myself up inside. So hearing my story come from someone else, I was, I was able to say, wow, maybe I'm not alone. Maybe there's somebody I can trust. Yeah. And uh, so um, that, that's when the healing begins. Mm-hmm. It's very, very healing to be able to tell your story if you can trust the person. But if they're going to use it against you, then it's not healing at all. Yeah. It's more drama. So yeah, got to find people we can trust. Right. Have you had any? And again, I don't want to get any like confidentiality issues or anything. But have you had any um, patients um, or people that you've helped out with um, sexual abuse? Oh yeah, many, many. Yeah, and I could talk in general. I don't. I right. don't use I any, get into any names or identifying uh, information. But in generally speaking, uh, uh, one man. Uh, this was years ago. He was thirty, and he came in, and uh, 
What had happened was uh, at the mall when he was 14, he was at the mall with his friends, and some really nice-looking guy, uh, gray hair, business suit, uh, had approached him in the mall and uh, had said, with a $20 bill, and said, my grandson is exactly your size. I'm trying to get him a pair of jeans for his birthday. If you'll help me, we can get the exact right size for these jeans, and he'll be really happy on his birthday. Well, that sounded good to a 14-year-old. Yeah. Um, Didn't sound like it would be any harm in that. So they went into the clothing store, found the pair of jeans, went into the dressing room, and as he was trying these jeans on, this man fondled his genitals. He was just frozen. He, He had no idea what to do. Then the man ran out of the dressing room, ran out of the store, and ran out of the mall. They never caught him. Wow. And so this this young man uh, was traumatized from that experience, and it, it affected his entire life from that point on. But uh, by <clears throat> learning to talk about it and for... Uh, for us being able to share our experience and yeah. and really do the trauma healing. There's a therapy called eye movement therapy that's very, very helpful for okay. trauma. Yeah. And it works very quickly and the results are durable. It's really amazing. It's approved by the Veterans Administration and the Department of Defense also for oh. soldiers with PTSD. And... Uh, so the it's the the initials for it are EMDR. 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 And so we, uh, this guy was his his life was improved in every area, his relationships. Uh, um, he had uh, a hard time with uh, relationships with uh, girlfriends, um, but after that he was healed. He he. Uh, found a girlfriend and yeah. he got engaged and uh, they got married a year later um, but uh, there was a blockage there because of what sure. happened at the mall uh, the bad guys often look very slick very nice looking very trustworthy yeah. that's how they gain access to their victims by being nice looking and friendly yeah. A lot of sports coaches are perpetrators. A lot of bus drivers are perpetrators. And a lot of bad stuff goes on at the mall. That's scary. So folks, don't let your kids just hang around at the mall without a chaperone. It's irresponsible of you. Yeah, wow. So so you had the, this man approached you, and he told you about... Um, uh, uh, his what happened at the mall when he, the mall. when he was 14 16 years previous right so and how then, do you how do you begin to to help him what is what is kind of like is there like a certain protocol is there a, well the the and folks I, I really want you to know that uh, uh, to really be a friendship to form a friendship is what really works the best and for you to be able to and willing to listen to people without condemnation, without judgment, and hear the story and empathize, that brings a lot of the healing. That's the first step. And that's what a therapist does, is listen without judgment. I show empathy, we connect, and... uh, uh, that's the first step is to really yeah. listen, really hear what they're saying and, and uh, how that all affected them. That's the first step. And uh, decades ago, Carl Rogers pointed that out, that the, the relationship between the counselor and the, and the client is, is the first step and it's very, very important. The relationship does the work. So that's the main thing. And then there are some techniques, and with uh, EMDR, there are eye movements and uh, combined with questions. And the person learns to uh, disconnect the present from the past. Because a lot of people who are traumatized in the past, they, that trauma keeps coming into the present. 
Yeah. And it really doesn't belong there. So part of what eye movement therapy does and other other therapies, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, is it helps people distinguish between the past and the yeah. present. Yes. Wow. That's, I mean, that's scary and fascinating and all that. It <laughs> all is. The, it all, is. All at the same time. And folks can help one another very much. And it's not that hard. One of the main things that I uh, like to teach people to do is prevent suicide. In yeah. 30 minutes, if you know how to talk and listen, you can you can help prevent a suicide and save a life. 30 minutes. Wow. And the main tool with that is to just ask flat out. Just ask questions. It doesn't hurt yeah. to ask flat out. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's good. Um, well, I have, let's see, I have a couple of uh, other follow-up questions. So um, this is kind of circling back to our, our drug addiction. Okay. And what are kind of the early warning signs wow. that there, uh, that some loved ones, that some of the listeners out there, if they're concerned that their, their loved one might be um, starting down that path of addiction, what are some warning signs that they can look for? Um, that's a great question. Um, the, so the things that we see happen, let me, let me talk about teens first, teenagers. Okay. Yes. Uh, a sudden change in the circle of friends brings out some suspicion. Okay. Um, they stop hanging out with the kids they hung out with before and they, they hang out with this other crowd. Uh, when the grades go down, yeah, uh, that's that's uh, an important sign that something may be off. Um, the uh, when they when the kids smell different, and this okay. is for moms especially. Women have a keener sense of smell than men. Yeah, and uh, so when the uh, when the kid comes in the house and you can smell different things, uh, that's a, that's an important thing to watch for. Uh, let's see, changing friends, the grades go down, the kids smell. They lose interest in things they used to be interested in. Okay. And uh, um, they, so when, uh, when the kids come in and uh, their eyes are really red and bloodshot and they're laughing inappropriately, that's a sign maybe uh, marijuana's, maybe they've tried some marijuana. Um, Marijuana isn't harmless. It's a powerful medication. It will drain away the kid's motivation. That's why the grades go down and they lose interest in things, the hobbies that they used to do. Okay. Um, with alcohol, they will, uh, uh, they'll come in, they'll be off balance, and they'll be uh, slurring their speech. Um, so these are, these are ways to, to figure out if, if your kid is has started self-medicating, started escaping from reality. Yeah. Um, and uh, if they have money that they can't account for, uh, they suddenly come into a lot of money. Or if they're taking money from their parents, okay, that's a sign that they're uh, they're on drugs. Um, and if we translate these into adult terms, yeah, uh, people, um, adults, if you see job performance go down, uh, that's, that's a sign. If they change circle of friends also, that could be a sign. If there's a lot of time unaccounted for, um, these days with electronics, people seem to keep track of each other a lot more precisely. And so that has uh, revealed a lot of drug problems. The earlier we catch it, the easier it is to solve. So uh, I really like that electronics are allowing us to uh, be a lot more open. Information is power. Absolutely. And so uh, when, uh, I mean, your wife did a lot of uh, helpful things to help us with information mm -hmm. that showed us that you had actually crossed the line and you were into dependency. Yeah, no, I, I, 
I tried. Uh, I tried a long time, um, and, and Harold even supported me a couple times yeah. um, with the alcohol of, um, you know, I'm just a social drinker, and, um, you know, I can have one or two and stop. And um, and there were times when you could have two and yeah. stop. Yeah. And that, But that's not the point. Yeah. Go it, ahead. It, it was... Um, two turn into three, three turn into four, and then, yeah, and then it was the two o'clock in the morning, oh, I'm going to go see my drug dealer and get my fix so I can stay up all night. Yeah. Um, so it slowly, slowly got out of hand, slowly got out, way out of control. Um, I was spending tons of money. Um, yeah. It's very gradual. Yeah. And, you know, being, So the messing money thing is very, right. very valuable to know. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it, there's certain things that Kristen looks out for now, um, <laughs> that she questions me on. Um, if something's out of the normal, um, yeah. like if I go to the ATM two days in a row, right? Um, she'll question me about it. Um, if I go once a week, she doesn't really say anything, and I, I'm I'm not taking out the amount of money that I would need to to support my habit. Um, but it was um, it's it's certain things like that um, sure. if I change the password on my phone okay because uh, she yeah. goes she goes through my phone every single night I guarantee it yeah um, I don't and that's a good thing so you've married folks I just want you all to know openness honesty and transparency are the key elements here honesty is the foundation of recovery mm-hmm. we've got to be honest with ourselves honest with our spouses and yeah. our kids uh, honesty is the foundation mm-hmm. we call it we've got a special name for it it's called rigorous honesty and that means I'm more honest today than I was yesterday yeah and I'm more honest tomorrow than I was today yeah. Yep. A growing honesty every day. Yeah. So, like, um, besides the damage to you know ones like mind and body, um, what is some of the collateral damage um, uh, from alcohol addiction to work? Like, is it is it like, you know is it work? Is it family? Is, um, what is some of the collateral damage other than just one's own? Well, it does. It does a lot of physical damage to the body, as Jason learned. The body bounces back. It's amazing. It's amazing. We've now, now with the brain research, we know that the brain has plasticity, and that means it prunes out nerve fibers it doesn't need anymore, and it adds nerve fibers to new ones, and so the brain will bounce back. It does take months. Takes time. Yeah. uh, but the brain will bounce back. But the collateral damage, uh, the so usually work is the last thing to go. Really? Because work is provides the money, which provides the alcohol and drugs. Yeah. So a lot of guys say, "Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't have an, a drinking problem. I go to work every day." Well, that's not the point. The point is, once you start, can you predict where it'll stop? That's right. the question. So a lot of guys, they will uh, really put a lot of pressure on the marriage, and the marriage will be uh, really damaged. A lot of people separate. A lot of the first, I think the first collateral damage is really the kids. We The time that we should be spending with the kids, we're spending with the bottle. Harold, we sure, we sure appreciate you coming on and uh, joining us back again for, for a brand new episode. Um, I mean, that's all. I've, I've covered all my questions that I have. Jason, do you have? I don't have anything else either. Anything else? Harold, is there anything you want to say to our listeners? A little message to everybody or, you know, give out your credentials again or something? Well, um, let me just say that uh, something my sponsor told me, he said a lot of things that were really helpful yeah. early on. I think the main one was... Harold, your drinking is a search for God at the wrong address. That really helped me. And so I began searching for God, and uh, I didn't understand the Bible, and I didn't really understand Jesus, but so I started reading. And so that's my number one piece of advice. Just open it up. 
it is the living word of God. It's amazing. It's miraculous. And uh, uh, pray and ask God to help you understand it and then read it and read it again and again and again. Uh, and with these days with the Bible app, right, uh, it'll read it to you. And so that's really changed my life. And uh, uh, give me a call. Um, give me a call. I'd love to talk to you. And uh, uh, there's no charge. This is the, how I give back. And I only get to keep what I give away. So... Uh, let me help you. We'll put uh, all of uh, Harold's information down in the description below. Good. So you guys can, uh, if you do want to give him a call or anything. And the, 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 there's one thing that I want to add to. Uh, my, my sponsor once told me. <laughs> uh, is, uh, you know, along the lines of reading the Bible every day and, and, and growing your spirituality um, and, and finding your, your place with God um, is going to be a big factor in your long-term success with addiction uh, because the enemy will tempt you every step of the way. Yeah. The enemy will tempt you in your dreams, when you wake up in the morning, in the evening, any time of the day. It will tempt you. So your your close closeness with God is going to go a long way. That's it. You close the door on alcohol, and the enemy comes in through the window. Yeah. Some other way, because you believe he hates you. Yeah. Well, I could have closed it out better myself, guys. Thank you for joining us, uh, uh, Jason. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes. So we can do these podcasts, and uh, we'll see you all in the next one. Bye.